You're listening to The Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. On today's episode, was the Atlanta bridge collapse a chance event, or was it part of a massive emergency response exercise that happened to be going on in Georgia that very same week? We analyzed the news surrounding the event, including some clips of statements made by Governor Nathan Deal before and after the bridge collapsed. Here's Monica. This is episode 36 of the Propaganda Report. I am Monica Perez with... Brad Binkley. Hi, Brad. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I We have so much to cover. I think it's been a while since we did a proper propaganda report. We're getting yes. back on the air on WSB, so a lot of the stuff lately has been the radio show. But we can get into a lot more depth here. Because we don't have to watch the clock or and we don't take calls and we have a little more time. So I want to catch up on some of the things that have happened recently, especially uh, at a local story that went national, a local to Atlanta, but it was getting national press. The bridge collapse uh, on I-85, which everybody's known about, but what people probably didn't realize is that there was a spectacular story that happened before that. So let me just give it to you in a nutshell. And then uh, I know that you've done an awful lot of work and research on it. So let's hear what you've got. But let me just tell you what happened. On Thursday, March 30th, there was breaking news on AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, that said, uh, I actually printed out the very short articles. It said... The one from AJC said, downtown streets close amid red mercury investigation. This was Thursday at 6.20 p.m. Officials are investigating in downtown Atlanta after reports that a man claiming to have red mercury from Africa walked into the Region 2 location of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, police said. I didn't even know that was in Atlanta. We received a call regarding a male coming into the facility carrying red mercury from Africa, Atlanta police officer Stephanie Brown said. We're still gathering details on the call. And then WSB reported, man carrying red mercury causes hazmat situation in downtown. The Department of Homeland Security and the FBI are handling a hazardous material situation at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission in downtown Atlanta. Officials confirmed they received a call saying a man carried red mercury from Africa into the facility. Fire department said the first readings have come back negative for any type of danger. So this is what we were, why I was watching the news. I was like keeping an eye on AJC.com because of the red mercury thing. And then I uh, see, so there were a couple of tweets about it or just one tweet about it on AJC. Uh, actually, right before that, there was another story breaking or a, a strange story that a car shooting, they called it road rage. I always think yeah. those things are actually hits, you know, a drive-by shooting, a road rage. It's really a hit. I, I don't know, but that's what I would think. Uh, led to a car fire on 78. So there was a fire on the, on one highway. There was this hazmat thing downtown. And then closer to downtown... Also, four schools over the two days were closed because of fake threats of guns and shootings and stuff. So two in Jackson County and two in Hall County. So four schools in two days were shut down because of fake threats. 
And uh, and on that day, a kindergarten teacher was arrested or reprimanded for being drunk and carrying a loaded pistol into school. So these are all the things that are going on. Oh, wow. Uh, and then, yeah, at around whenever it was shortly after this Red Mercury story, you get uh, tweets saying all lanes are shut down on I-85, which is not far from where the Red Mercury shut down downtown uh, in Atlanta. All lanes were shut down to, due to heavy black smoke. Next thing you hear, there's a bridge collapse. So a section of the highway collapsed, I think, onto another section of the highway. And it created a, uh, as a result of the massive fire. And then basically everything you hear after that is about the bridge collapse. You get one update tweet that the road rage guy died. One update tweet that... There's no arrests made in the red mercury thing, which is crazy. But also on that day were a lot of it was a big legislative day, medical marijuana, a big tax bill, campus carry. So there was no attention paid to that from what I could tell. Uh, It was all about the fire. And then the next day was the first Braves game at the stadium. So there was a lot going on there. The. Uh, store, they very quickly, very, very quickly arrested somebody for the bridge collapse. The guy named Basil, uh, Elegy, what was his name? Ellaby, uh, Basil uh, yeah, Ellaby. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's his name. I have it in front of me. And it's so funny because, <laughs> too, I guess he said, it, somebody said he was smoking crack under there and started this fire on, of non combustible materials. Uh, the police say, uh, well, I guess it's a reporter asking the police, sounds like this case, uh, in this case, people skills were key to breaking the case. And the cop says, yes, it's our ability to talk to people. And then it goes on to say surveillance video played a role, but they're not discussing that. And, uh, they found this guy right away. He said, uh, based on relationships already built through a Metro Atlanta arson task force. So I don't know what those relationships might be. You know, anytime they already have relationships with people, I got to wonder what's really going on. And then in the end, I thought this was very interesting. So the story was that he put a chair on top of a shopping cart, lit it on fire, and that somehow got non-combustible materials. Plastic shopping cart. (laughs) Right. One eyewitness said chair, the other said sofa. But they're dating. Oh, are dating? Yeah, the two the two other witnesses are boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh, and they apparently had a relationship with the arson squad <laughs> for whatever reason. Apparently I mean, if you're so. going to Im- take the implication from this article. So uh, it's just this thing is weird to me, and I always notice it. A person who knows him and I think gave him work, he says, uh, what I'm saying is I know him like seven, eight years. I don't think so. Uh, they're just saying he's just never, this does not seem like something this guy would have done. His lawyer says that he's a scapegoat and that's it. That's all we got here. FBI continues to be involved. Do do you know what the witness statement was? Say it again. Do you know what the witness who said that she saw him? I do not have a cover. He said her statement and you can, there's a video of this. She says that. She was standing next to him, and she said, oh, Basil, and this is when the fire had already gone, and the smoke was bellowing in the air. And she said that when they were both looking at it, that he looked over at her with this evil smile and said, ha, ha, ha. 
I did that. That was her. That was what she said to reporters. It gave her an evil smile and confessed to her. <laughs> oh, so she didn't see him do it? Who saw him do it? Her boyfriend is the one that she says saw him stick his hand underneath the shopping cart and ignite it with his flamethrower hand. I guess. And then later, later she went and saw this too. And you know what I mean? Saw the fire, but didn't see that. Yeah. She didn't actually see it. Her boyfriend was the eyewitness. She came back later because that's where her and her boyfriend, I believe they were staying under that underpass. And when she came back later, she saw the fire bellowing in the sky and she saw Basil. So while the boyfriend and girlfriend couple are saying that he did it, Basil is saying that he did not do it and that – or his lawyer is saying that he is being scapegoated. Yeah, he said he left before the fire started. Right. But here's the thing. He burned their house down. So I, I have to tell you, my, my brother was, I think, basically – homeless he was a drug addict he lived out of his car i don't know what the story is but one day i mean he was really a bum i hate to say it and uh basically the drugs got him in the end but one day he brought home a box of gross stuff and he was like look i found this is a book and a hat and my mother said he found it like in a park my mother said that's somebody's stuff you know like that guy probably lived there you just took his stuff, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. So I guess he brought it back or whatever. But you you don't – if this guy was burning that guy's place, you know, just because it's a homeless guy, but if, he, if that's his spot and the other guy's burning it, you would think he would try to stop him or try to stop the flames. Like the story does not make sense. I'll link a video to the interview of the two people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not – you know, they, maybe they're telling the truth, but you're also looking at people who are probably in a position where they could easily be persuaded with some financial assistance to to say whatever. You know? Oh yeah, especially if they had a pre-existing relationship with these people. Right. Everything that happened that day, when you look at the full context of it, and I'm going to play you some clips from Governor Deal and give you some context here in a second, it, it makes it seem as though that it's worth asking whether or not this whole thing was an emergency response exercise the entire day. And Well, you had said – you had played something for me earlier that talked about that week being right. Was that, did I understand that correctly? That, right. that, that there were, was a whole host of a, that was a week of emergency exercise that very week, right? In Georgia. From March 23rd to March 31st, there was a full scale exercise that governor deal announced from his office during a live press conference and the press conference was actually it was titled governor deal highlights the multi-agency emergency training exercise and the the press conference was on march 27th the fire and all those other events were on march 30th and the day after the day before with some of the school closings i believe i can't remember which day, dates those were on but the fire specifically in the red mercury drill or red mercury drill the red mercury incident happened on on the 30th and the red mercury thing i'll play you the clips in a second right. the red mercury thing is interesting 
because a lot of people say that red mercury does not exist. If red mercury does exist, it's a doomsday chemical, and it's a chemical that ISIS – they seek. They actively seek it, and they actively pay millions of dollars for chemicals that they believe to be – Red mercury, even though they end up not being red mercury. Right. It could even be a honeypot. Right. It could exactly. be a honeypot where you put it out there and it attracts bears or whatever yeah. to the honey yeah. that you actually control. And that's a way. So, like, even if red mercury isn't a real thing or doesn't symbolize or is a term uh, for something real, if it's something that attracts terrorists or attracts evildoers, as W would have said, yeah. that whoever's whoever's taking that bait, when you catch someone in that honeypot, you're doing it so that you can find the tentacles of his connections. So when they said there was no arrest made of the red mercury, like this guy comes in and says he has red mercury from Africa and you don't have him under some kind of suspicion. So you, you let him go immediately. Exactly. They let him go. And even if we just take it on its face, Man carrying red mercury walks into the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, shuts down three or four blocks. Home, Department of Homeland Security, hazmats, police, fire department. This was the main story for three hours on the AJC. A doomsday chemical walks into a nuclear regulatory facility and everything shuts down. And then suddenly that gets dropped out of the news. Right. So you think it was part of this rollout of exercises. Can we play that clip even though it was pretty long? Yes, I got a whole bunch of clips to play. Yeah. Let's do that now. Can we can we play yes. that now? I want to hear it. Hold on. I want to make one more quick point about red mercury before we play these things because it'll make sense when you hear okay. some of the stuff. Red mercury, okay. another thing that it's used for is code. It's used for code for other types of nuclear chemicals, dirty bombs. So a lot of times they'll use those that, the, that language to to identify dirty bombs. I got red mercury, meaning we're looking for dirty bombs. Now that's important because the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. One of the things that they do is they do full scale exercises where they do emergency responses to dirty bomb terrorist attacks. So there was a quote unquote red mercury scare, which in some context means dirty bomb, at a place that does emergency response activities, trainings, to dirty bomb attacks. Just keep that in mind when you listen to some of these clips. Right. Okay. All right. This first clip is Governor Deal introducing the emergency response exercise to the four or five people who were watching his live feed at the time, I guess. <laughs> okay. What date? This is the 23rd? 27th oh three days prior it was that three times so it was monday monday morning that week monday morning he gets up and this is what he says this exercise is sponsored by the u.s northern command in conjunction with the national guard bureau and the purpose of this large-scale and comprehensive exercise is to stem to simulate a real world natural disaster in order to improve cooperation among local state and federal stakeholders in preparing for emergencies and any sort of catastrophic event. This is the first time that the state of Georgia has ever hosted a Vigilant Guard event. event. And this particular exercise is the largest such event that they've ever had. In fact, Georgia's Homeland Security Task Force 
has been in this exercise planning process since 2015. Uh, participants include many various facets of both uh, state, federal, and local agencies. And the, the individuals who are here behind me, let me identify them for you because they head up state organizations that are involved in this process. Of course, Adjutant General Joe Girard of the Georgia Department of Defense and National Guard, uh, GEMA and Homeland Security Director Homer Bryson, uh, Colonel Mark McDonough of the Department of Public Safety, Commissioner Mark Williams of our State Department of Natural Resources, and Dr. Brenda Fitzgerald, who heads our Department of Public Health. These will include hypothetical scenarios that will be in response to a major hurricane, and there will be additional scenarios in addition to the natural disaster, things like disease outbreak, counterattack, cyber attack rather, chemical spills, search and rescue, collapsed structures, mass medical casualties, and more. These are all of the kind of ongoing events that will be involved in this training exercise. Did you notice that collapse structures and chemical spills? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. Let's hear that part one more time. And there will be additional scenarios in addition to the natural disaster, things like disease outbreak, counterattack, cyber attack rather, chemical spills, search and rescue, collapsed structures, mass medical casualties, and more. I do believe the bridge that collapses three days from that moment would be categorized as a collapsed structure. And they don't, yeah, they don't tell all anyway. On the, I've read those things. They don't reveal everything because it doesn't do what they want. They can't warn everybody about every specific thing. Wow. They address that, yes. Um, and I played that entire clip because he mentioned a lot of the agencies that were involved. Department of Homeland Security, that was an agency that showed up at the Red Mercury site. The Department of Public Health, that is an agency that he's been talking about uh, ever since the bridge collapse. All of these agencies that he's mentioning that are coordinating in this exercise are the agencies that have been – mentioned and talked about and praised for their work ever since the bridge collapse. And didn't they send airport hazmat to the bridge collapse? Like, I thought that was so weird. So at one time, they're yeah. closing down the roads for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and then they're st- and then the bridge collapse. I mean, it's it, look, it could easily be how do you respond to multiple emergencies at once, like on 9-11. Exactly. And I want to remind listeners that This press conference that Deal is having right now was on March 27th. The bridge collapsed on I-85 on March 30th. Okay, the next clip indicates kind of the scale of response. Actually, I want to play the clip that you just referenced because you just said – you said something about the – about them not telling people. They asked – one of the reporters asked the guy, one of the generals there. They said, how how do you involve the people in these exercises? And – now, listen closely. At the very beginning yeah. of this, his, yeah. his answer is kind of, well, well, I don't know. And then he goes into his answer after that. So me... uh, the, well, first of all, um, some of them are involved as role, role players in some of the exercises. So um, so that's part of it. But then other than that, it's up to local emergency management agencies to, to notify citizens what's going on. One of the benefits for it being in our state versus Well, the benefit from our perspective is the fact that we get to, um, we're the 
show in town, I guess. And so we're able to practice all of the things with respect to bringing those forces in, capturing the um, lessons learned from not doing this. We, we, this is a muscle memory that, or muscle movement that we haven't exercised in uh, I don't know if ever, and, uh, except on a very small scale. So we've got um, notionally up to uh, six to 8,000 um, forces, military, and that's not just other guardsmen from other states, but Title X forces, active component forces coming into the state, which I don't know that we've ever had to call on. So all of those things are we're able to train and practice so that when we do it for real, um, we'll know what we're doing. The first part of his answer there about how our local is going to be involved was they're going to be role players, also known as crisis actors. Uh, the, well, first of all, um, some of them are involved as role, role players in some of the exercises, so um, so that's part of it. But then other than that, it's up to local emergency management agencies to, to notify citizens what's going on. Yes, and some of them are involved as role players. I mean, that's crazy, and we rely on the local community. Yeah, to inform people. Did you notice the size and scale of people involved that he mentioned there? Like 9,000? Yes, yes, yes. And that's what it was for Boston. The Boston Marathon bombing had 9,000 law enforcement, and they went from door to door. So I don't know what these guys were doing. I mean, were did you hear any news about thousands of deployed forces? The only big thing was this no, collapsed but, structure, and, and I guess they also had school closings. Now, right. Now, here's another clip that relates to that when we talk about the types of stuff that they're actually going to do. In this short clip, he gives, he gives a quick example of the type of emergency that one of their activities is going gonna, is gonna to do. Here it is. There are uh, numerous things and tasks taking place all over the state uh, on, on each of the days throughout the rest of the week. So today through Thursday, um, you know, you can call us and we'll let you know where things are taking place. Uh, you know, us, us or GEMA 1 will be able to tell you. But, uh, you know, today or tomorrow there's going to be a dam break in Augusta. And um, we've got uh, the hospital standing up on Wednesday, I think, down at, at Savannah. And so it's all over the state and multiple um, activities taking place on every day. A dam break in Augusta. I wonder how many people saw a dam break in Augusta and were like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Multiple activities taking place all over the state every day. So what yeah. were they on Thursday? You know, that's what I want to ask the guy. And it was up yeah. to local people to inform. Yes, to inform the communities of what's going on. What I was noticing, there were numerous reports, and I, I'm not – I've never, ever heard of anything like this, so I'm not saying <laughs> I think word comes down to not take those kind of calls, but people got the feeling uh, that that what would be a normal call that someone would take on the air, on the radio or whatever, they were not getting through. And didn't you hear, without you know throwing anybody under the bus, but didn't you hear callers being poo-pooed and thinking something was weird was going on? Yeah, I did. People wanted to explore whether or not this was a conspiracy, and the people that they were asking about it weren't willing to do it. I mean, I had people tell me they thought stuff, the weird stuff was going on, and they were getting no airtime. 
Well, I don't have this clip, but he praises the the media for giving the right information at the right time when it was needed to be given. And it's also important to know that part of these exercises involves the dissemination of information. Wait, time out. After the fact, Governor Deal had a press conference about the collapse in which about the I-85 bridge collapse, which was which really happened. And he said that's is that where he praised the media for saying the right thing at yeah. the right time? Yeah, he praised the press. Yeah. I thought you were saying that the guy I thought you were saying the original Monday press conference was when he said about the press. But you're talking about after the fact. Right. But also like one of these events I just I just found this right before we started. One of the disaster scenarios was disseminating the in- information through through the you know, cyber web or something like that. I can't remember how they called it, but it was focused on disseminating information properly. And, you know, you obviously you want to disseminate information properly in a disaster scenario, but it's also important to know that FEMA has a manual, like a 150 page manual that tells people, tells media, that tells the uh, people who are the gatekeepers of information how to disseminate information properly. To the right people, how to develop the relationships with the right people, how to make sure you shape the message that you want to get to the public. So part of these exercises is the dissemination of information. And they study it, or I should say, that makes me think of an article I think I sent you just last night in the Washington Post talking about how certain information, I think it was like a conspiracy theory or something or Pizzagate. I can't remember what they were talking about. Do you remember that article I sent you, what they were actually Study. Oh, they, I know what it was. It was they were seeing how fast words like false flags and stuff like that, uh, like trigger words or whatever, conspiracy words, how quickly they traveled through the Internet and what sites they hit and how hubs were formed. And I think the biggest hub was the Washington Post itself. And they <laughs> yeah. were claiming in this Washington Post article that uh, it's because we debunk them and just like because we use those words, they get flagged in the study. But and then people, when they search for them, they come to our site and it just perpetuates it. It advertises it basically. But what was so interesting to me about it is you and I have talked about, I, I'm, I think it, on the air, uh, where like how all of a sudden false flags, that word, you were saying how like you never heard it before. Then all of a sudden I heard John Bolton say it about Russian hacks. You've heard people say it. Uh, they have all this inside jargon coming out or um, using words that previously were were completely relegated to the alternative media and and i'm thinking this these people the media or whatever whoever was behind the study probably some university conducted this massive study on how certain words it was during 2016 how certain words ebb and flow through the media and i believe they released those words out into the world like the way You'll drink some radiation fluid so that when you get an MRI or some kind of imaging, it'll glow. Like they release this fluid of words, of, of radiating words, so that they so that it'll make their little hotspots glow and they can really watch 
the circulatory system, more or less, of the media. So, so I wouldn't be surprised if part of the exercise is just like with the Boston Marathon bombing, I think part of that exercise was to see how people reacted to martial law. I mean, that guy was hiding in the boat for for the longest time. They never found him. They probably didn't want to find him. They wanted to conduct this experiment. Will people go inside? Will they not show up for work? Will they let us search their houses? Everybody did it. Uh, so, but I, but I feel like they conduct these exercises so they know the answers. And one of the answers is going to be, of course, how to control information. And I, I think that could be part of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission story as well as emergency response to dirty bomb, to chemicals. But I think putting that information out there and just seeing how people react could have been part of an experiment they were conducting. This next clip, he talks about the umbrella agencies and he brings FEMA into the mix. The point of all of this is we want to be prepared. And this gives us an opportunity to test our preparedness and to learn from the exercise as to what we might need to do in addition to what we are currently doing. The reason I'm speaking uh, second today is that the Georgia Department of Defense is the conduit for this exercise we're here to discuss, Vigilant Guard. And it's being co-hosted, like the governor said, by GEMA Homeland Security and the Georgia National Guard. Integral to our preparation are the numerous exercises that GEMA Homeland Security conducts throughout the year to ensure that we are prepared for any event. Vigilant Guard is just an extension of that process. So as the governor said, it's a a U.S. NORTHCOM and National Guard um, Bureau-sponsored disaster response exercise. NORTHCOM conducts four of these a year in, uh, in the different FEMA regions throughout the nation. And again, the purpose of this exercise is to simulate an event that exceeds our capacity to respond and stresses our systems to the point that we have to ask for assistance outside the state. That assistance could come in the form of guardsmen from other states, active duty forces from around the country, as well as additional assistance from federal agencies and other states. We've been planning this exercise for over a year and have conducted three planning conferences that have included numerous agencies, counties, and organizations. And and to the right, we've got a poster that shows the almost 9,000 personnel and the different agencies and groups and organizations that they come from. So can I just say they have a Georgia Department of Defense? Sorry, they have all this stuff and he is and they've never had to use they he's saying they have the Georgia Department of Defense and he lists all these things and he says we've never had to use any of this before. That's what the other guy said. And he's like, "Yeah, but this way we can make sure that when we need to access uh the feds and call them in to control our situation, we can do that." And I'm thinking with all the resources we have internally in Georgia and the fact that we've never needed to use them at all ever, what is this really about right and when you think about the bridge collapse and what he said there we want to stress the system past the capacity to be able to manage it ourselves so that we have to call in the the federal help which is exactly what the bridge collapse did i mean immediately it was a national emergency or whatever and they were calling in help they describe collapsing structures they describe stressing the system so that they have to fully integrate with with federal help They're describing all of these things three days before it happened. Now, with that in mind, this is the last thing that Governor Deal had to say prior to ending this press conference on March 27th, three days before the bridge collapse. In one 
stop it. If not, um, I'll, I'll let I'll let my team back here go because uh, who knows? They may get a call on an emergency. They may respond to it. The irony. Little did they know that three days later they would all be brought together and all of their training would be put to use during a real emergency. Anyone else on this topic? If not, um, I'll, I'll let I'll let my team back here go because uh, who knows? They may get a call on an emergency. They may respond to it. <laughs> let me look at my schedule. Oh, there's going to be an emergency. I'm reading this thing about Vigilant Guard. This is like Operation Vigilant Guard, which is what this is a part of. This is number 17, but it's Georgia's first. And uh, Brigadier General Tom Cardin, commander of the Georgia Army National Guard, said after I guess they did some stuff. He said, looking back, I believe we work at the speed of trust, Cardin said. These exercises help us build capability, and more importantly, it helps us build trust. Trust is cultivated through relationships. When we can go out and work those relationships and build trust and build capability, the end result is a safer population. And I would just say that really you could more – you could – read that a little differently that the trust he wants to build is in the people trusting the military state, the police state. It's the confidence game. It's, uh, and, and it's funny because the media echoed that I read earlier. I did, I just looked this up when I heard the clip, but earlier I read, I thought it was odd how the only article that popped up when I searched for the guy getting arrested was how the media and the police were talking about how their relationships with the community is the real story here and that it's because they have people they can trust and go to and see something, say something. You know, I I think there are psychological elements at work here that – you know, maybe they, they are either just trying to give it to us or trying to understand it better. You know, I noticed that, too. They have been emphasizing that. So that that, is, that does fall in line with the see something, say what? something type campaign. I, I'm just dying to actually understand the numbers of how much Georgia spends on defense, law enforcement, the Georgia National Guard, the Georgia Department of Defense, the Georgia Homeland Security Affiliate, all the money and manpower uh, that they spend on all. And I'm all for that. I'm a state's rights gal. It should be that should be most of it. You know, let's go back to militias. I'm 100 percent fine with that. But I want to understand what emergency they are not going to be able to handle. Well, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, they get a billion a year. Right, but they're federal and regional, right? Yes. So they have to respond to a yeah. like how many of them are there in the country? Not fifty, right? There isn't one for each state. Four. Yes. Yeah, so that is federal, and they, if the if nuclear stuff is federal, I mean, even that, I don't know if I need that. I don't know enough about that. Usually, I feel like your the scope of your project should be able to be handled you know, within the region that it affects. So if you have nuclear power in Georgia, I mean, I just, I don't understand how nuclear stuff works, but the other stuff I get, I mean, a hurricane, uh, fires, building collapses, like what is this massive standing army in Georgia or this massive infrastructure 
for emergencies, that they have dozens of organizations, thousands of people, what is it that they are not capable of outside of the nuclear thing? An invasion from another country? What are they practicing for? They, I'm just saying, if they're worried about a hurricane, they can't handle. You know, why can't they handle it? Like, how many people does it take to handle a hurricane? Oh, I'll tell you what I think they're practicing for. I think they're practicing for a dirty bomb attack. That's why I think the Nuclear Regulatory Commission factors into this. They focus a lot on dirty bomb attacks, and dirty bomb attacks are associated with red mercury. If they are preparing for – it's it, the way they train drug-sniffing dogs is they have to plant drugs once in a while or the dogs never learn. They never get rewarded for it. It has to be kind of random, unexpected. They have to. You cannot have a, a population in fear of or prepared for uh, martial law or paying for all this stuff if it never gets used. So if they're preparing for a dirty bomb, I would say – you're going to get one. It would not surprise me if it happened somewhere. Okay. With that said, let's play these last two clips that happened after the bridge collapse. Governor Deal is telling people how he's going to approach the bridge collapse, the, the opportunity that it presents. opportunity for us to take a disaster and turn it into something that is going to be advantageous. On the simple fact of repairing and fi finding alternative routes, I think we're going to demonstrate that Georgia has the capacity to do that. I think also as we see more and more people using MARTA and other forms of uh, transportation other than driving their cars, we may see an avenue open up there, which was not anticipated otherwise. So we're going to take lemons and we're going to turn it into lemonade. Mm -mm. Listening to that again makes me really think that this, I don't know. Was on, I, 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 it sounds so crazy to be like, I think it was on purpose because it was so dramatic. I mean, the fire was crazy, but, you know, and I, and I go back to thinking, like, how does this homeless guy uh, light on fire non-combustible materials? That's hard to do, you know? It's hard to do. And then, uh, but the way he says it, it's an excellent opportunity, advantageous. We can clearly repair the stuff. That's no big deal. And we can discover new ways for people to do stuff other than drive cars. This is right. awesome. And that's what they've been trying to do the whole, for this T-Spot stuff for years, Atlanta's been, the people have been voting down and now they probably won't. Yeah. I have another clip that might strengthen your belief in that. Governor Deal was asked – you can barely hear the guy ask the question. He asked if this is an opportunity for Atlanta to aggressively tackle its transit needs to fix the problems that we have. And this last clip is Governor Deal's response to that question. Well, sometimes uh, events do things that politicians can't do. And uh, this may be one of those types of situations. Thank you all for being here today. and. That is making my blood run cold. 
<laughs> and I've heard it before, but now that like it's all gelling in my mind, I'm like, that is so crazy because they have. I did a show. My husband laughed at me. I did a show on T-Splost. It was like a traffic thing. It was a traffic <laughs> referendum. And my son, my, I think he was, it was a long time ago. My son was really little. He was like six years old and they were in the car. And he's like, dad, I really love listening to mom, but can we turn this off? <laughs> <laughs> They just like the other day did a healthcare show and you're like, wow, I thought healthcare was pretty boring, but that was kind of interesting. I mean, traffic is boring, but I was like, well, they're trying, this is a UN plot, you know, they're trying to give us strong cities or, or, you know, corral the population, take our cars away, build metros everywhere, whatever. And the people did not want it. And now he just said, now we can do stuff that politicians can't otherwise do, just like Rahm Emanuel. And of course, my corollary, like my Rahm Emanuel doctrine 2.0 is, he said, you don't want to let a good crisis go to waste. I say, you don't want to wait for a good crisis. <laughs> you know what I mean? They want to create the crisis. That's what Edward Bernays said. Edward Bernays said, you don't have to sit around and wait for news to take advantage of to happen, that you create the news that you need to happen so that you can create the demand for what you need to implement. Where was that? That's not his exact quote. That's me paraphrasing yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, right. But would you, that's what, his, what's that? His whole philosophy in the book Propaganda and in the book Crystallizing Public Opinion. And we should link that because, yes, okay, he doesn't distill it all into one sentence like you have, but reading those kind of kinds of books that it's pretty clear you know it's not like you have to when you when you look through psyops docs. He actually does say you don't have to sit around and wait for news to happen. You create news that you need to make in order to push forward whatever you're trying to sell, whether it's a policy or a you know, yeah. a politician. Oh, yeah, actually, because that's – I think the his most famous example is when he got young female socialites to smoke Smoking. in the exactly. city. Yeah, right. and that got exactly. women to smoke because women did not smoke before that. Yeah, he created a news event. Yeah. That, you know, made smoking uh, a thing that they would help them overcome their oppression. That's so cute and clever. <laughs> See, he really did us a favor. Yeah, he's, he's really <laughs> thinking about you guys. Thanks, guy. So, oh, my goodness gracious. So, yes, that, that just makes my blood run cold. And only because his tone, you know, we're talking about deal, right? The tone and the... Monday news conference where he's talking about how they're going to do this stuff everywhere, every day. They want to stress the systems. That's what, uh, honestly, I did not hear any of these clips. It's brilliant. Awesome that you pulled them all together. Thank you. But before I heard them, when I saw this news like roll out where they had Homeland Security shutting down the roads and then right in downtown and then like not too far doing the other thing. I think the drive by on 78 was probably real, but uh, you know that they brought air airport stuff up. It just seemed like it literally seemed like they were trying to stress the system. You know, the multiple attack scenario. Just like he said in that clip. And they always seem to do that. There always seems to be two bombs. Like at Boston Marathon bombing, there was one bomb there. And then there was a bomb at the, I think, the JFK school. And the, people didn't talk about that too much. But there was a second event that day. 
And same thing with like the St. Petersburg bombing in Russia last week. There was a bomb in the metro that killed people, but then there was another bomb that did not get detonated. Uh, when that homeless guy, the homeless guy found the bag in New York, there was that. And then maybe it wasn't a homeless guy. I don't remember, but there were like multiple, they do multiple things. Seems to me sometimes to stress the system. So crazy. And I would not be surprised if those four school closures in two days, I mean, I would be surprised if it weren't part of the drills because they were fake. Yeah. And I guarantee you maybe six months from now, might not read about it in the, in the headlines, but right. we'll see a little blurb about this guy who got arrested cutting some sort of plea deal. I still want to know about Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez. He was the guy who supposedly killed Kate Steinle and launched Donald Trump's career and all the san- or his campaign, all the sanctuary city stuff. It was a fishy, fishy story. I've been waiting for that guy to go to trial for two years now, and every date they put up just goes by without uh, without a, a word. I tweeted the San Francisco public defender about it. I tweeted the guy who wrote the article in the San Jose Mercury, the guy who wrote the movie Kill the Messenger about the book by Gary Webb called Dark Alliance about Iran-Contra. Gary Webb, the reporter who shot himself twice in the head, according to the official story, this San Jose Mercury reporter should is supposedly – a guy who gets to the truth, a guy who's not afraid. And all these people, the San Francisco public defender, I assume, and this guy, this Mercury reporter, former Mercury reporter, are so anti-Trump. All they do is talk about uh, sanctuary cities and immigration rallies and refugee rallies and all this kind of stuff. And when I asked them to follow up on uh, – he was go- he went to trial. He supposedly His trial supposedly started March 28th, and there's not a single word about it anywhere. And that's uh, – people – We'll draw the line. I've had people draw the line on, okay, your false flags are all good and fine, but that really happened. And I'm like, it might have really happened. I don't know. But that story was absolutely fishy from the start. I just want to be on record to say uh, that guy is not going to get – you're not going to see an OJ-style trial on TV for that guy. Uh, yeah. you know, that yeah. that we are not seeing. And I'm sure the same is for Basil Ellaby because – uh, he's going to be like, yeah, I, I, you can't light non-combustible materials with uh, a lighter, and I save my lighters for my crack. It, the same thing with the guy who walked into Comet Ping Pong and supposedly shot a shotgun three times looking for children or whatever. He just recently cut a plea deal. Yeah, the uh, I don't I I don't know that, but I believe it. And Bradley Manning, Chelsea Manning. The guy who got like 30 years in prison for giving WikiLeaks uh, all this uh, explosive material. His Obama commuted his sentence. You know who else got out and lives with his mom now? The guy who tried to shoot, who did shoot Ronald Reagan. A guy who's deeply connected to the George Bush family, who was the VP oh, at the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and people say, well, why would they sacrifice one of their own? I think the guy had a mental illness. So he went to a mental institution for 30 years, I guess, and and now he's out. I'm not saying he got off. He was there for a long time, but Sirhan Sirhan didn't walk. You know, like they usually throw the book at people who commit high-profile crimes like that, especially against their the sacred 
uh, politicians, you know. They're saying this Basil guy has some sort of mental thing that he has like a IQ of or a learning capacity of like a 14 or 15 year old. Oh, I, don't I know feel how so true bad for is, the but... druggies, and I really, um, I this the crack thing that in itself sounded funny about the story, like uh, crackhead just makes people just like <gasps> crackhead. He's a crackhead. The crackheads, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, I guess maybe it's still popular. I really don't know, <laughs> but it seems cliche. Let's just say it seems a tad cliche. Blame it on the crackheads. And I think it's absolutely sus- suspicious to think that guys would light their own uh, place on fire. Plus, there was a study, I think, in the AJC that showed Photograph after photograph from Google Earth, I guess it is, or Google Maps or whatever, of that underpass. And there were as actually, I don't, there was no homeless refuse there. It was only just those coiled stacked things. And even that, I thought it was kind of a strange uh, study in pictures. But anyway, I'm not buying the official narrative. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, me either. Although I'm glad that if this was a drill, that they didn't kill anybody. I'm glad. I know. Thank God. I really think that to the extent things are false flags, they are more likely to be hoaxes these days because they can't deal with the families. The Sandy Hook thing, not Sandy Hook, um, San Bernardino. Remember that San Bernardino story that this couple, they scrubbed the real pictures of this couple. They were totally looked American and the wife was had beautiful teeth, was absolutely beautiful. The pictures of her, she looks like a troll. I mean, they can't even be real. Uh, And I remember, no, seriously, like there's one halfway decent picture of her where she's chubby. But the other pictures I saw of her, like the first day were like, these people aren't. I don't appear like terrorists or even extremely religious or anything. The family was like, I was living with them. I didn't see any, any weapons or whatever. And Trump's like, see, she's a liar. It's like, well, you can't, <laughs> can't assume that everything that doesn't match the official narrative is a lie. But then yeah. the lawyers, the lawyer for the family said, Hey guys, this is, these people were absolutely framed. Now I understand why people thought Sandy hook was a hoax or uh, this. Oh, I remember these that. These people yeah. are being railroaded. You try to find that guy. You can find his name. You can find that one article, and he just disappears. Same, similarly, the chick Miriam Carey, who was gunned down with her baby in the car outside the White House, and her her apartment was fumigated by hazmat. <laughs> her apartment in Connecticut. So uh, the American everyman yeah. speculated that it was because her baby was Obama's. Which would mean Obama was straight, which I was like, oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) So I don't know what his proclivities are. But anywho, that lawyer, the lawyer for the family, was arrested one Friday on like some back bankruptcy settlement thing that he said he didn't really owe the money. And they're like, for every day you're in jail, your fine increases by $1,000. So he was in jail for like a three-day weekend. And then he comes back, you know, the next Tuesday or whatever, and everything's fine and he's just like, oh, the family just wants a settlement for wrongful death. I'm like, really? What about the fact that she was gunned down in front of the wall? You know, like, this is a big thing. We should investigate it. But he just, like, took the money, I think. And I and I don't actually blame them because yeah. you either, you know, take the carrot or you take the stick. They're not – and you have to take the carrot. If you don't take the carrot, you still have the moral high ground. 
They, you must take the carrot or they have to give you the stick. Do you understand the analogy I'm making? If they, you have to take the money or they're going to kill you? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they can, you can say no, but then they have to kill you. If they can't, yeah, you can't yeah, say yeah. no, I don't want the money. I just, I'll just not say anything. They're like, no, no, no. You have to let us take pictures of you in a compromising position with this little boy and take yeah. the money and then yeah. we'll let you go, you know? And they're just like, okay, <laughs> I get it. Uh, so that's whatever. How do we get on that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy's going to get off. Totally. Yeah, I think so. All right. I still want to know the name of the guy who brought the red mercury downtown from Africa. It was probably – <laughs> One of the, the secretaries who works inside the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, they're like, just go downstairs and tell the front desk person that you have this doomsday chemical called right. red mercury. Here's some paprika. Paprika. Yeah. I'm going to em- empty my pen ink inside this little beaker. <laughs> you can tell him, be careful, be careful. And we're going to do an, uh, an emergency uh... test. All right, so – that was a lot of super fun speculation with a lot of really meaty stuff. I loved your clips. Loved them. Yeah, it's definitely make, makes you wonder. Yes. Yes. I'm not even wondering That's not anymore. even I'm wild speculation convinced. either. We're, yeah, I wasn't right. even convinced. Yeah, when, you, when you told me on Saturday, like on the air, you're like, I don't know. It's like, ah, come on. You're always in the rabbit hole, <laughs> which isn't true. I'm the one in the rabbit hole. But that, <laughs> you know, and so I was like, yeah, whatever. It's just a fire. But now... It's like we're going to collapse stuff. Oh, something collapsed. Uh, we didn't do it. Uh, we have to do this thing, though, that we've been planning to do for a long time. You kept saying no, but you're going to say yes now, right? <laughs> it's like, what? Exactly. How'd yeah. that happen? <laughs> right. And they're also excited about it, about the opportunity. I know that it would not be funny if somebody died, though. That would have been super it wouldn't. It would not be. I'm glad nobody died. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Very interesting. So we'll be back. Uh, we're basically back every Saturday on WSB. And uh, let's. we've got lots more to talk about on the propaganda report. So if you like it, share it afresh. Every episode you like, put it out there on your social media. Yeah. Tell everybody. Just tell everybody. Except for like Governor Deal. Don't tell Governor Deal. <laughs> anyway. Okay. That concludes... Episode 36. Episode 36. All right. Until next time, thank you very much, Binkley. And uh, we'll the next show will be uh, a radio show. All right. We'll see you Saturday. Bye.